thinking about tithes and offerings a couple minutes ago. Um, there is a, a group of money that was sitting in a bank together in the vault waiting for the next business day at the close of the day, and they were just telling each other stories of where they'd been. The $100 bill started out, and he said, I have been all over the world. I have been to Paris, I have been to Rome, I have been to China, I've been to New Zealand, I've been to Australia, I've been to Canada, I have been everywhere. $50 bill spoke up and he said, well, I've, I've been to Canada too, and I've been to Mexico, and I, I, I've been in some pretty nice stores. And the $20 bill stood up and he said, well, I've, I've been in a lot of stores, I've been in Walmart, and you know, I've, I've, I've been in Kmart, and the $10 bill said about the same thing. He said, yeah, I've been to a lot of restaurants, too. I've been to McDonald's and Burger King, and I've been to IHOP. I've been to a lot of different places. And finally, they looked at the $1 bill, and they looked at him and said, well, well where have you been? He said, oh, I've been all over the place. I've been all over the world, too. I've been in churches all over the world, Baptist churches, Lutheran churches, Anglican churches, Presbyterian churches. I've been everywhere, everywhere. I like that little joke. And I'm not saying anything other than this. God can do a lot with a little. I, I will never forget. Um, as a kid, my parents taught me that tithing was important. Um, and that was something my parents believed in and still something they believe in to this day. Dad says that they have what they need only because God gave it. Um, because there was no financial reason that, and my parents don't make, they ain't making it big by no means, but but they have always had what they needed when raising a, a, a three-child family uh, on one income. And uh, dad's been a hard worker all his life, a mechanic, and so he just says faithfully, you, need, you know, giving to God really does pay back forth many blessings. When it hurts to give, he, he supplies back more than we could ever offer. And he taught me that lesson, and he told me that, now just think about it this way, every $10 bill you have, you need to give the Lord a dollar. I was talking to somebody one time. She was a youth intern at our church for the summer. And I was talking to her, and she said, yeah, we just, just did a lot of things around the church. We built this new loft to include more people. We put in a new sound system, a new projection system, so we can do more with the music and, and the words and, and help people be able to see more and, and, and incorporate things into our worship. And she said, everybody who's given, you know, this, this is what has come out of this as she took me around and showed me all this. And I said, well, I gave a dollar every now and then. And uh, she said, that one dollar still made up part of the whole amount that made this possible. And it just reminds me, and I'm not making a plug for, for offering, I'm just doing a testimony for myself that, you know, even, even a little bit, no matter what it is, a little bit with God goes a long way, whether it's your money, whether it's your time, whether it's a word or a deed. A little bit of Jesus, a little bit with God goes an awful, awful long way. Even just putting in a little bit of His word in your life. I'd encourage us to put as much as we can, but I'm always amazed that even a little bit of God's perspective in this world and in our lives makes a whole lot of difference. And so that's why we've come to this time of our, our worship together, for this is worship, to study God's Word with one another, that putting this time in will prayerfully help us as we go about our daily living that God might show forth in greater and mighty ways than He did before we came together. So let us pray and ask God to bless this time. Father, thank You for giving us this day and this opportunity to come together with one another and just to 
worship your holy name. Uh, we thank you that you're a God who, who indeed cares about us, Father, sometimes more than we care about ourselves. That you watch over us and that you, you guide us and, and lead us as we choose to be led. I pray now, Lord, that, that you will hear our hearts cry in this moment as we open up ourselves to you and open up ourselves to your word, that you would find this time pleasing and honorable in your sight. As your children have gathered to, to hear your word, that you would just pour forth blessing in ways of comfort, Lord, where we need to be comforted, as well as conviction, Lord, in our lives where it needs to be also. Not that you might make us feel bad for who we're not, but that it might enable us to become who you would have us to be. Father, draw us closer to your heart. Show us more of what you love. Through your word, Father, given to us, sealed through all of time, to this place, and forever, until you come back. Father, may it still make a difference. May it make a difference in us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. It's hard to believe that we are just a few weeks away from being halfway through 2019. Have y'all thought about that yet? I thought about it in preparing this sermon series. I thought, man, this, this far through, we're only technically like two and a half series through the year. And it's just hard to believe that time has just flown by this fast. And so it's in this time, I'd like to just go back a little bit and just remind us of where we've been. For those of you who are new with us, maybe, uh, tell you where we've been as a congregation studying with one another, that it's in this, these past several weeks, well, months really, since the beginning of the year that we've been exploring what it means and what it takes to be a faithful church, to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ through the tides of this life. For, you know, when you're sitting on the beach and you're looking at the waves, sometimes it's just pretty and calm and smooth. You think, I wouldn't rather be anywhere else. But then there are times when storms start to rage and the waters don't look quite as friendly as they once were before. The tide is up and it is harsh. That is how the Bible describes life from time to time. There are times when things are good and smooth, but there are other times when it seems a little bit more tragic than what it ought to be. And sadly, there are times when we're in the midst of it. When we're right there in the middle of those waves, whether good or bad. And so we've been looking at how we can keep the faith through the tides of life that come in these good times as well as the hard times. And again, to continue to remind us of where we've been, our first series pointed us to prayer. That we might be a people who have a prayer life modeled after the way that Jesus taught us how to pray. And these prayers, being based upon that of Jesus, will guide us through both the good times of life as well as the difficult moments of life. More than anything else, I believe it can be said as we looked at Jesus' model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that we have seen that praise is more important in our prayers than the things that we pray for. Because it's when we praise God that we remember what He's done so that when we ask for God to do something in our life, we have full expectation that He'll do in the future what He's done in the past. 
that He'll move with as much power now as He has before. That He's the same God in our life this time that we pray as the last time we prayed. Then, in our last series, we saw that faithfulness to the Gospel, the very Word of God, has continual life-changing effects both for us in our lives and those that we encounter. Prayerfully, we shall continue to see as we move through into this next series and then into the rest of the year that to become a people who both personally embrace the gospel as well as those who choose to be those who take the gospel, that we will continue to carry the Word of God in our heart. And as we saw last week, that we will do everything at any cost to guard our hearts and the Word that God tells us to put there. That we might continue to be blessed in our personal lives, but that we might still be enabled to pray and minister effectively to those whom God will place in our path. And that brings us to our new series. That brings us to this new series that you see before you. In starting this series, I want to just say right from the very beginning that I believe that the more we get to know our God, the deeper we are going to fall in love with Him. For God describes our life with Him as a relationship, and He describes it as an intimate relationship, one where love is expressed. Again, I believe that the more we get to know our God, and I don't just say this from my own personal experience, I say it from Scripture. That the more we get to know God, the deeper we fall in love with Him, the more that we will love the things that He loves. Like any good relationship, the more we put into it, the more we're going to get out of it. The more time we spend with our love, not only the more that we will love them, but the more that we will love what they love. The more that we will love to do the things that they love to do. And when we grow deeper in love with our Lord, I believe that this is going to be the case. We will begin to deeply love the things that He loves and find that He loves more than anything else in this world. It's people. More than anything else in this world, God loves people. I believe it's impossible to read the Scriptures and not see from start to finish the love of God and His great desire to win our hearts at any cost, including the cost of His own Son. No greater love has any man than this, that a brother would lay his life down for another friend. No greater love has anyone than this, that one would lay down his life. For a friend. Jesus was that friend. God sent him to us to be that friend. God's great love is climaxed through this familiar verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I know I quote this verse a lot. But it is the epitome of God's love for us. A verse that should constantly be on the forefront of our minds. Not only for us that God loves us, but to remind us that God loves the world. 
And He loves whosoever believes in Him. And for whosoever believes, He doesn't give partiality to anyone. He gives to everyone eternal life. He gives to everyone abundant life in Him that begins the day that we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. Commit our lives in baptism to service to Him. This is the epitome of God's love for us. And for the world. For all who will believe. And not only is this God's great love, but I want to remind you that it is deeper than just God's love for us. It's also a depth of love that Christ expressed. You see, God could tell Jesus to come, but He had to be willing. And Jesus was willing. He didn't have to come. Jesus did not have to leave heaven. He did not have to leave perfection to come down to a world of imperfection, a world that fought against Him tooth and nail that even crucified Him. If you think it's bad on any given day in your life, just think about Jesus. Really. And I know I get down too. I'm not just trying to point a finger at anybody else. I'm pointing a finger at myself. If we ever get so down in our life that we think that no one has it worse than me, think about Jesus. Because He was King, He was Lord and ruler of all, and recognized by that, by no one. That He was even rejected by His God at the time of His death. His Father for no wrongs that He had ever committed. His poor helpless mother couldn't stop it. Those at the foot of the cross couldn't stop it. No, Jesus came and showed His great love for us. And I love this verse because I believe that Jesus, by way of not only His actions, but His mouth, displays His great love for humanity when He told the disciples a new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Remember that great song? I remember singing it at camp. They will know we are Christians. How's that go? By our love. By our love. They will know we are Christians. By our love. That's not just something that was penned by a man or a woman. That is something that was given of by Jesus Christ Himself. They will know we are Christians. They will know we are disciples by His love. This verse is truly twofold. First, we see Jesus' love for His disciples. And then we see Jesus' love for humanity through His disciples. Let me say this one more time. In this verse, we see Jesus' love for His disciples. Then we also see Jesus' love for humanity through His disciples. In effect, what Jesus says is, if you love Me, you will love what I love, and that is one another. And when you love one another, and you love one another enough to help make them disciples, you have shown them My love. 
that you love each other enough to tell them about me, to tell them of their great love, to tell them of how they can be rescued from sin. That is love. To love somebody to the point to where you save them from death through Jesus. That is what He asked us to do as disciples. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but this is, this is free. You know, this don't cost any extra. <laughs> this is how we love people, is to help them escape death. That ultimate death, not physical death. Everybody's going to die. You know, statistics are out there that 10 in 10 people are going to die. Did you know that? In fact, you can narrow it down and say 1 in 1 people are going to die. I believe it too. I think it's going to happen. You know, I'm not real smart, but I, I agree with that statistic. You know, eventually everyone's going to die, but the death that really matters, the death that is going to, to cause the pain and suffering for eternity if we don't accept life is that of our sin death. And Jesus has made a way for us to, ex- to escape it. And the most wonderful thing we can do for anyone is to help them escape death themselves. To help show them the Jesus that we have accepted so that they might be free in their own heart and in their own life. Again, Jesus says, if you love me, you will love what I love, and that is one another. And this is not a love that's exclusive just between the disciples, but it's a love that they are to share with the world. It was at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that He spoke these very words that we have just read. A new command I give to you to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. These words were spoken just before His crucifixion. Before the greatest act of selfless love the world has ever seen or it will ever know. And it's that message of love that was displayed on Calvary's hill through the cross of Jesus Christ that is still extended to whosoever believes, that is still extended to whosoever will come, that whosoever will be washed by the blood that flowed from the man who died on that cross, but also the man who died who rose again in newness of life. This is available to whosoever believes in the Gospel. Of Jesus Christ. This newness of life. This everlasting life. Begins the day we accept Him. And transfers into eternity. People tell you sometimes you can't take it with you when you go. I believe that's true for everything but one thing. And that's your relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that is 100% transferable from this world. And it's the one thing that we really need. Church, He died and He rose again so that we might have newness of life. For without this new life, we would have the cleansing of sins, but we would be unable to live in freedom forever. But because of His new life, He ensures that through this verse, for who the Son sets free is free indeed. We can truly embrace freedom of sin and newness of life because of Jesus' love for us. He just asks that you love Him back. And, And once we have, once we've accepted and embraced His love, He only asks for one thing. 
that we love in return. Once we accept His love, His free gift of grace extended through that cross, all because of love, He just asks us that we do one thing, and that is in return to love. The greatest commandment. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor also as yourself. He just asks that we love, that we love God and that we love one another, that we love people in such a way that it prepares them for eternity. And we do this by spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ for His sake in His absence. Jesus told the disciples in moments just before His crucifixion, soon the world will no longer see Me, but you will see Me. Since I live, you also will live. I don't think the disciples understood what Jesus was saying at this time. They were in sort of a state of confusion. Jesus was talking about dying, but they didn't understand. What they didn't know is that Jesus was God and could see the unfolding plan before Him. The disciples were still kind of stuck in the twilight zone, if you will. Jesus was talking about what was going to happen, but they just didn't get it. But they did get it, standing on a hillside, watching Jesus Christ ascend back into heaven. They understood exactly what Jesus meant when He said, Soon the world will no longer see Me, but you will see Me. Since I live, you will live also. It was at the occasion that we read of in Acts chapter 1, if you would turn there with me, that these words became explicitly clear to them. And I would just ask that our PowerPoint person Follow me along on this one. Acts chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1, I'll be reading through verse 11. This is what it says. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus did and He taught until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proof that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my, my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And all I can say at that last verse is amen. The way they saw him go up is the same way he is coming back. 
In these last moments with His disciples, Jesus shared with them what was most important, what was on the forefront of His heart at that time, and that was the advancement of the Gospel. That was them taking that life-changing news to the world. When somebody is passing away, you generally start to ask them if you have time. Now, sometimes we don't have time, but, but if we do, because I've been there, they will sit with the family members, and I've heard someone ask one time, is there anything you'd like to tell us before you leave? Or sometimes they'll draw the family close, and they'll have, I remember my great-great-grandmother who passed away, and I was very young, but I can remember her gathering the family up and, and saying, there's something I need to tell you all before I leave, and then she told us that she loved us. But I, I can remember those things. If you have that moment, the last few moments you're going to spend with somebody, right before you leave them and depart for a long period of time, if not indefinitely, from this life, that is, you're going to share what's most important on your heart and that Jesus was doing the very same Himself when He ascended. The last thing that was on His heart and His mind before He left this world was the advancement of the gospel, that they take this life-changing news that they have heard, the things that they have seen, and share them with the world. He told them first to stay in Jerusalem and hang around for just a moment. Again, the apostles living in twilight zone, waiting on prophecies to be fulfilled because it was at that place that he was going to impart to them a gift, a wonderful gift a gift unlike they had ever seen aside from their salvation. In fact, Jesus compares this gift to the baptism of John, in effect saying that if you thought the baptism of repentance and remission of sin was good, just wait. Just wait. Because you ain't seen nothing yet. We talked a little bit about that a couple weeks ago when the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles and they were able to speak in tongues of, of many languages that everyone heard and understood at one time. Those country boys had never heard or experienced anything like that themselves. They had never been filled with the power of God quite like that. It was miraculous. I love being able to read the story and know what happens because it helps fill in the gaps. But for them, they were eagerly expecting this to take place that would help the advancement of the gospel to go forth. Because this baptism of the Holy Spirit was going to bring such great power, as I've just explained, and so much more into the life of every believer to give them comfort and peace in Jesus' absence as they saw great miracles when Jesus was around and with them that He performed, the Holy Spirit through them in the name of Jesus was going to perform as great, even greater at times, miracles because of the advancement of the Gospel. Today, the same power of God is still available. There is wonderful change being taken place in the lives of people whenever someone who is full of the Holy Spirit Praise in Jesus' name. You ask, who is full of the Holy Spirit? Anyone who has given their life to Jesus Christ, as Peter said, who has been washed and forgiven of their sins as they have been cleansed in baptism and now lives in newness of life under the teachings and directions of the apostles as we read today in the Holy Scriptures. These people, those who have committed their life to Christ, they are the ones who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Church, if you're a Christian, say amen. You are full of the Holy Spirit. You are full of God. 
And we can see wonderful, powerful things done in the name of Jesus Christ when His Word goes forth, when prayers are made and offered in His name. Jesus says, you've seen great things, but you ain't seen nothing yet. And the same thing is true today. Blessed were those men because they have seen Jesus. But Jesus told us that even more blessed are those who have not seen but yet still believe. Church, that is us. You may think that this world is rough and tumble. You may not like what you see on TV and read in the newspaper. I know I don't. Sometimes I just put it all away. I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. And it can cause a bit of depression to fall over my life and yours. But at the end of the day, when we read these things and we hear that Jesus says, even more blessed are those who believe that have not seen, we should count ourselves worthy of standing among those who have accepted the cause of Christ, not for our glory, but because of His. Because we were smart enough to realize that Jesus Christ was better than anything this world has to offer. We will see great and wonderful things because of the power of the Holy Spirit that fills each and every person. And we're going to see wonderful things, great things, because of the mission that Jesus has left. To love people enough to share the gospel with them. We are going to see great and wonderful things because of the charge that Jesus left His disciples that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It said after this that Jesus was called back up into heaven after giving these things and the disciples were just left looking around. Talk about a drop the mic moment. You are going to do this thing. You're going to go to the ends of the earth. But my question is how? How are we going to do this, Jesus? Well, I love that we have the Gospels because in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 28, if you'd like to flip there also, also, you will see how Jesus said that we fulfill this mission. And this was at the exact same occasion. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. The exact same occasion, Matthew's remembrance of it. He said to go into all the world, and this is what Jesus said. This is how he said to do it. Verse 18. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, if you'll follow along with me on this one. Uh, Again, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." He told them in the book of Acts, as is remembered by the apostles and recorded by Luke, to go to all nations, to go to all regions, to go to all people. And Matthew remembers how Jesus said to do it by going and making disciples. The Holy Spirit has been given not only as a comforter to the believer, but as a source of power to complete this mission that Jesus left for His disciples and to complete this mission in this order. First, to go. We are told, not asked, by Jesus. 
We are told, not asked by Jesus. I say it one more time. We are told, not asked by Jesus to go and to second, make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. These two things by this manner that Jesus has given us, which is the same that we see in the second chapter of Acts that we studied a couple of weeks ago. We need to make disciples. A disciple must first find agreement with the gospel. How can they believe if they have never heard? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. To be a disciple, you must first hear the good news of Jesus Christ and confess Him. Once there is confession, as we see in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. He tells us to then baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. The baptism is the point in which our sins are washed away. Remission of sins is made possible. And it can only be done in one name. There's only one name that can save us, church. There's only one name given, among, given on earth by which we must be saved, and that name is Jesus Christ. We commit these people to Jesus Christ through baptism as they're being made disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't just stop there. A disciple-making process is continual. Once we have helped bring them to Christ, once they've heard the gospel, we help bring them to Christ make them right in the sight of God, there's a continual walk that takes place. We talked about it several months ago. That process is called sanctification. It's the process by which we are daily made holy in the sight of God. There must be continued teaching. As Jesus said, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The disciples handed down and we are preserved for us through these apostles their writings to the early church, that way we might be able to continually be taught by the apostles themselves, not by someone else, but by the teaching of the apostles, the way that Christ said that it would happen, that we can continue to make disciples who make disciples. This is the gospel message, that Jesus Christ came lived and died, that we might be saved, that there can be remission of sins, and that we can live in newness of life. And he explained that this is for all nations. Not just some people, not just those people, not just these people, but all people, all nations. Jesus explains in great detail, going back to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, the very same occasion going back and saying these are all nations. He describes that when he says that you're going to Jerusalem, you're going to Judea, you're going to Samaria, and you're going to the ends of the earth. What he's saying is you're going from Charlottesville to Scottsville to Madison. Those are Judeas. They're the areas around you that are not in your general area. That is, go from your original starting place, Charlottesville, go to the outlying counties, then he says, go to Judea, which is our country, our, our nation, the people who are like us or just might be far off. And then he says, go to all the world. Go to the ends 
of the earth. Go to everyone that you can possibly get the gospel message to. When God calls you to go, these are the people you're going to. Not just some, but you're going to all. Don't just stay at home, but make your mind open to the gospel going everywhere. And though he may call like Paul, he called him to be a missionary to the Gentiles and took him as far as Rome, way away from home. He called Peter to stay in Jerusalem, stay put and teach right there. Some of us, like me and like you, we may not ever step foot on the mission field. Some of you maybe have. Some in this place may be called to go to the mission field as others have been called in the past to live out the rest of their days there. Jesus calls us to serve where we are planted. Wherever He sends us, these are the people around you that you're to take the gospel message to. And He promises us when we do these things, when we witness to the ends of the earth, He promises that surely He will be with us until the very end of the age. But this is a conditional promise. In order to receive this promise of surely I will be with you to the end of the age, we have to go and make disciples. It is conditional. To have God's presence living and dwelling in you means to love the things that God loves. And if you grow in deeper love and fondness with Him, you will find over time that He wants you to love everybody and love them enough to teach them about Jesus Christ. We have to take the gospel message to the world, wherever our world might be that God puts us in. He said to the prophet Isaiah, who will speak for us? Who will go for us into the world? Isaiah said, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. We had to be willing when God calls to say, Lord, send me. I don't know where He's calling you. For the rest of my life, I don't know where He's calling me. But I know He calls us to serve Him faithfully where we are, and He promises us if we do, that surely He will be with us even until the very end of the age. The gospel message has to continue to go forth, church, because we are disciples. In fact, we are disciples who were made by disciples, 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 who were made by disciples. See where I'm going with this? Generation after generation after generation of disciples have been made and it's still going forth. We were made by disciples who made by disciples who were at one time made disciples by the original disciples. It started with 12. you believe that? It all started with 12. And now thousands of people have accepted Christ over the ages because of 12 original people who said that they would go for Jesus Christ who loved one another enough to teach each other the gospel. We are called to share the gospel and to partner with that same legacy of faith to fulfill the same mission in the same way to all the nations until Jesus comes again. Like the disciples, sometimes we'll find ourselves looking into the sky waiting for Jesus to return. Some days our lives are going to get so bogged down that we're going to be going, it'd be nice for you to come back. But what opportunities we might be missing in the meantime for people to come. Somebody might have to come along and say, you need to get back on task. 
like it did with the disciples. Why do you stand here looking into the sky, men? Why do you stand here waiting for Jesus to come back? You've got work to do. I promise you that Jesus is going to come back. And when you die, if you're in Christ, He's going to take you. You don't have to sit there waiting on your faith to renew like a CD sitting in the bank. Christ has promised that He will take us no matter where we are. But until He does, may we continue to grow in love of what He loves. And that's people. Specifically people who don't know Him. And who need Him desperately. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for this day and all of Your blessings. For bringing us here and giving us this opportunity to worship and study. To praise and glorify Your name. Or particularly through this time of listening to your word, hearing it. Now, Lord, may it be worship of us putting it into practice in our life. May we hear your call, not only for others to come and be saved, but for us to live out our salvation by loving one another enough to share the gospel with each other. Share the gospel with those who have never heard it. Teach them your wonderful ways, Lord. That they might be blessed just like we have been blessed. Father, as a church committed here in these people, I pray that we'll commit to your gospel call. To share you at all costs. For your love came. Your love, Jesus Christ, came at all costs for us gave of himself so that we might live. No greater love has ever been known in this world than Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Let us always be thankful and appreciative of that, Lord. May we never forsake it. May we always be moved to tears by the gospel. And Lord, always feel a call to share it with someone who doesn't know it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The angels in heaven rejoice even over one lost soul saved. Over one lost soul who is saved from death because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, we need to be in a habit of wanting to make heaven rejoice. Even over just one lost soul saved from the grips of sin and eternal death. Church, if that's you today, if you are wandering in sin, if you hear the words that the wages of sin is death, and you don't know eternal life yet, Come to Christ because He would save you. He will come into your life and fill your being and assure you by the seal of His Spirit that you are His, saved for the day of our redemption when all the world stands before Jesus Christ face to face 
But you cannot know that until you give your life to Him. Until you are washed in the waters of baptism, forgiven of your sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life. Until that happens, the wages of sin and death is still yours. Come today that that may not be the case for you as you leave. I plead with you, please don't let that be the case because none of us know how much time we have left. None of us know. If you're a struggling Christian, there's just something on your heart and on your mind. Maybe you've got something physical or mental, emotional going on. Come bring it to the Lord. Lay it down at the altar, whatever it might be. And if you're praying for somebody else to know Christ, maybe today you need to pray that the Lord enable you to go to them. That they might know salvation themselves. That He might use you, might use me, for these lost souls in our lives to know Him. Whatever the need might be today, I offer this invitation to everyone as we stand and we sing.